Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Therese Crow, novelist and speaker. It's the summer, which means that we are taking a break here at the Gate Crashers Podcast. And instead of offering weekly episodes, we are going to be offering you a handful of interviews that we will air here and there throughout the summer. These are interviews with industry professionals and authors who share their stories and their insight. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this summer interview. Today on our summer interview series, I have author Mel Todd owner of Bad Ash Publishing. Mel is a best-selling Amazon author in urban science fiction and urban fantasy with over 30 titles to her name, plus stories in multiple anthologies, not to mention her super popular Twisted Luck urban fantasy series, which kicks, which kicks off with book one titled My Luck. I had the pleasure of meeting Mel at a self-publishing writers conference in Atlanta earlier this year, where she really impressed me with her expertise and knowledge of the publishing industry. Welcome to Gatecrashers, Mel. Thanks, Karis. I'm not quite sure that I've got the expertise and knowledge as much as painful lessons that I've learned. <laughs> right? We've all had to go through it one way or another, the easy exactly. way or the hard way. It's always the hard way. It doesn't matter. It's always the hard way. <laughs> I feel like that's true. Even when you have the good advice, you can't always take it. And you end up, man, if I had just listened to the people who've been there before me, but... It doesn't always happen that way. Ever. It, it, you know, occasionally you'll do something right. And then occasionally you do it as badly as you possibly could. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I could, I could talk, I could talk your ear off about something I did a couple weeks ago that I'm still kicking myself over in my writing life, but not here, not now. <laughs> so, no, um, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, you know all this stuff about me. I've been writing for quite a while. I started my life actually writing fan fiction. And honestly, that's probably at least partially true because I think one of the first stories I ever wrote was a Star Trek story. That's awesome. Nine. Yeah, (laughs) that's even better. So I I think most of us actually start off writing fan fiction. You know, you either write your babysitters club books or your Nancy Drew or whatever right but no I've been doing this for a while it's it's both a lot of fun and a lot of frustration yeah and a whole lot of work so I uh, wish it wasn't so much right one of the things that we talked about when we were in Atlanta together um, that's really stuck with me was your success in this industry, even though you don't really spend that much on advertising. And that's really unheard of for self-published authors these days. Like so many self-published authors end up spending like a third of their royalties on Facebook and Amazon ads just to keep their books at the forefront. Um, And compared to like what you make in a typical year, I think we worked it out and it was like a couple weeks worth of royalties for you. And your books are still selling great. You're still making, um, especially what 20 books to 50K would consider, you know, a full-time income from your writing without any of the advertising, basically. 
I, just about. I mean, a lot of it is, is at least for the last two years, I was publishing pretty regularly. In fact, this has been the longest stretch I've gone since 2017 without publishing a book. And it's been about seven months and it's just been life occasionally doesn't give you options. Right. So, I, I mean... I'm still spending money on advertising, but I'm one of these people that when you hit a hundred dollars or so, if I'm not seeing a thousand dollars in sales, I'm going, yeah, no, I'm not happy with this. Right. I I do lots of what I call guerrilla advertising. Okay. Tell us about that. I I still write my fanfic and because, because I love my fanfic. It's a lot of fun. It is writing that I get to do where I don't need to stress about it being perfect or did I nail the plot? Is there character? Yeah, whatever. I, I have people having fun. But I do say both in my profile and at the end of each thing I post, by the way, if you like this, you might like my original stuff. Right. Go check it out. You know, right. and that's it. I, I don't do anything other than you might like this. You all tell them when I have a book launch, you know, whatnot. And then the biggest lesson that I've learned, which, you know, it's one of those things where it's completely obvious once you say it, <laughs> is you have to be where the readers are. So me being in the 20 books to 50K uh, Facebook group, me being in the Atlanta Writers Facebook group, me being in, you know, marketing, all of these, that's great. But my readers aren't there. My uh, peers are, which is awesome because I I desperately need to learn from my peers, but my readers aren't there. So I sought out a couple Facebook groups that talked about urban fantasy, that talk about science fiction and stuff. And that's stuff that I don't mind talking about. I'll get in and tell you about the books I love. That's not a problem. I will talk to you about books all day long and never even talk about my books. But most of these groups, basically, it boils down to the uh, regular adage of don't be a jerk. Most of these groups, they give you one day or so a week that you can say, hey, you might like this. Or, hey, I have a sale going on. You might like my books. And that has actually gotten me a lot of really good fans to the point that I now see other people recommending my books when new people come in. And if I went there just to say, buy my books, buy my books, buy my books, I probably would never sell anything there because you do come across as a car salesman. Right. Yeah. And I used to sell cars. So I know exactly (laughs) how that feels. Absolutely. Yeah. But instead you're going in and you're like, going, oh, did you see the new book by Patricia Briggs. Did you see the new Alana Andrews book? Did you see the new Greg Bear stuff? And you can talk about it. You can say, oh, you know, there's this really old series that I love. You guys should try it. Or, I mean, the other day when I went in and posted something, I was like, hey, two things. First, I found this great new series. You guys have to buy it. I read the first book and bought the entire series. That's how good it was. I said, and if you care, I have a sale going on. But I try to make sure that I'm not just going, hey, it's all about me. Right. And interact with people. Right. And, and honestly, that makes it a lot more fun. Yeah. And that's something we've talked about on the podcast before, that when you exist in these spaces, you really have to be a person who adds value to the community. It, it can't just be, you know, like constantly pushing your stuff or, hey, I have a book one week later, Hey, I still have this book. And that's your only contribution, you know, and that's really true across pretty much any social media platform. You've got to have something that contributes and not just be asking like for the sale all the time. Well, and I think that's part of why I'm, I'm not negative about right to market, but 
you know, zombies have been hot for a long time. Okay, but sure. they have been. I don't particularly like zombie novels. I, I, there's a couple that I've read. You know, I like some of the Joe Ledger stuff that uh, Jonathan Mayberry does. And I've read some of John Ringo's Black Tide Rising stuff. But it isn't a genre that I'm inhaling. So if I jumped on the bandwagon to write in that genre and I started joining those Facebook groups, I wouldn't have anything to talk about. Exactly. Yeah, so... I mean, writing the market is great, but if you can't honestly love the market you're writing for, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to actually interact with the fans because they want to know about other stuff besides your stuff. Right. Right. And that makes total sense. And out of curiosity, where do you usually publish the fan fiction stuff that you do? Um, I do it in th- three places. My major has always been twisting the hell mouth because I primarily write Buffy fan fiction. Gotcha. I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'm sorry. Xander is my baby. I write everything. <laughs> it's almost always Xander. I love Xander. And then I cross post to fanfiction.net and archive of our own. Awesome. And those are the three. The, the one that I'm working on right now is my, it's called Marvel Adjacent and it's Xander in the MCU universe. And so I'm mm-hmm. writing all the stories in between the movies Except that now I'm at Age of Ultron and Civil War and I'm going to change everything because the plot of those movies was stupid. (laughs) I cannot agree with you more, especially Age of Ultron. I just, that was my least favorite Marvel movie ever. I just, I could not get into any of it. You know what? You don't realize how bad it is until I've been trying to write the fan fiction around it. And note that I'm writing everything from Xander's point of view. So it has to be stuff he's, I have now watched the movie, I think five times where I'm having to pause it and write up because the plot makes so little sense that I cannot hold it in my head to write a story. I can rattle off the Avengers story and Winter Soldier and stuff off the top of my head without thinking. Ultron, I'm just like, wait, why are they doing this? This is stupid. And then we, trust me, if you ever want to hear my rant, get to get, me talking about what they did with the Scarlet Witch in the MCU universe because we aren't going that way Uh, no no right mm -hmm. yeah those are those would be my least two Marvel favorite characters is (laughs) yeah so well what's funny is if you actually read the comic books she's decent right that's what I heard yeah yeah but I I think what I like about your fan fiction approach is that you know it essentially functions as a reader magnet And it also, you're still contributing to a community, you know, so it's not purely asking for that sale. And then it's something that, like you said, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be amazingly polished every time, but it's something you genuinely enjoy doing. So it's one of those things that you've built into your career that yes, it helps your career, but you enjoy it. It's not one of those like, ugh. it's like how you currently feel about TikTok where you're just like dreading this and hating it. And like, I will do it. Uh-oh. But you're like saying that through gritted teeth, you know, um, I, I would gladly write fan fiction all day long as opposed to dealing with most social media. I, I mean, I, I, I will say that for me, I can tell when my stress levels are getting out of control in my life. Because I'll quit reading original stuff and I'll go read fan fiction. Right. Because it's like walking into mm. a home that you already know 
but you get to hear something different in it. And I mean, I will binge like, you know, 500, a million, 500,000, a million words in like the space of two or three weeks, because that's my comfort food. Because trust me, I love ice cream and mac and cheese. I don't want to weigh the 300 pounds I would weigh if I used them <laughs> as my constant stress relief. So uh, fan fiction is much easier on my thighs. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Oh. So one of the other things that we covered in Atlanta, um, and you know, like all of these, these little things that you do that kind of add up and this guerrilla marketing that leads to success, um, everybody wants that someday. You know, everybody wants to quit, quit the day job and just be home and be a writer. And that's a great goal. And I think one of the steps that I don't think we've ever covered it here on the podcast, but one of the steps that you really have to take eventually in your career is if you're going to be self-published is starting your own LLC and don't, don't hit the snooze button. Don't hit the pause. I promise if you're going to listen to anybody talk about LLCs, Mel is the person to listen to. Well, okay. So way back in 2014, I think it was, I went to an RWA conference and Bella Andre was talking and Bella Andre at that point had six figure months and was clearing multiple seven figures a year. Yeah. And the one piece of advice that I remember crystal clear from her entire conversation was start out like you plan on making a million dollars. Right. And that was like the one thing that I went, huh? So if you want to write and self-publish, you will never just get to be a writer. Throw that idea out of your head. It's never going to happen. You're going to be a business owner. You're going to be a marketing person. You're going to be a copywriter. You're going to be a formatter. You're going to you know, deal with beta readers. You're going to deal with editors. You are going to have to do all of these things. But all of these things take money and the government really likes your money. They so do. The best they do indeed. They, they really like your money. So we will not talk about how many. How much no, we said, we said government. no politics ahead of time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just how much I paid the IRS this year. Oh yeah. It, it mm. But one of the advantages of actually forming a business is that when you do an LLC or an S corp, you're still you, you're still, all of the taxes come through as if you're a single person. But you get to start writing stuff off and it can be stuff that's actually worth a great deal of money. Like the office you work in, if that is primarily where you write, you actually have an office that you use. And let's say you use it 90% of the time of writing, you actually get to measure the square feet of that office and deduct that much in what a rent or mortgage would be off of your taxes as a business expense. Right. That percentage get, of square feet of the entire, right. whether you be renting an apartment or owning a home. Yeah. That, that becomes tax, tax deductible. Right. But you can't do that if you're just you. Right. You have to be doing something that you can say is a business. So there's a lot of other things that go in with it. And I hear a lot of people going, oh, but it's so complicated to set up. So note that I live currently in the state of Georgia mm -hmm. and it does vary drastically from state to state. And I do mean drastically. So for example, in the state of Georgia, what it takes to 
set up an LLC or an S Corp or a C Corp or anything else is I log on to the website. I say, this is what I want my company name to be. This is who it is. Here's the address and here's my money. And they go, thank you for your money. You're now an LLC. It's <laughs> a tiny bit more complicated if you're setting up an S Corp or a C Corp and that you have to have articles and incorporation and all of this stuff. But it's literally you go find a boilerplate, tweak it to stuff you're okay with and say, here's how we're running my company. Right. And you're done. In Georgia, it is $100 to apply and $50 a year. That's it. That's now, amazing. Remember when I said that it varies drastically by state, I actually right. went and looked it up. So Arizona, it costs $50 to apply and you never owe anything again. You're good. You're done. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm like going to Arizona you know, bumps up your list of stuff. Uh, but you go to California, California, it's $100 to apply. And you're like, eh, that's not bad. But it's $820 a year to renew it. Wow. So if you're not making, you know, much more than it's one thing to afford $100 up front and $50 a year, right? If you aren't making at least five and $6,000 a year, that 820 hurts. So I know a lot of people who don't do it. So there, there's this wide range of stuff, but it allows you as an LLC or an S corp or C corp, you then can get business checking accounts. You can get business credit cards and it lets you do your taxes differently. Uh, you have to fill out what is called a schedule C where you actually itemize stuff. So when I'm doing that, I'm like, well, I spent this much on covers. I spent this much on my editor. I spent this much on my website. And there's all of these things so that when it comes to the end of the day, I think last year, my deductions were about $35,000. That's amazing. Between website, editor, right. everything else. And I think out of that 5,000 with it was advertising. Everything else was all of the other stuff. Oh, and the best thing is, especially if you're a sci-fi or fantasy person, I get to write off conventions, which right. means when I go to a convention, the entire thing is a business expense if I'm there as a guest. Now, I can't go just for fun, but if I'm there as a guest and I'm presenting and I'm selling my books, it's a business expense. Right. Probably the biggest thing to remember, you know, and here's my disclaimer. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. This is just the stuff that I've learned, you know, by fighting through doing it. Right. Don't sue if us. You, yeah. No, don't sue <laughs> Um, is if you really want to be able to itemize your deductions and stuff, and you do a lot of traveling, like Karis, I know that you and Ben do a lot of driving. Yep. You can do it. And trust me right now, you want to deduct all your mileage that you can. Oh, but we do. At the beginning of the year, you need to start tracking it. Yep. Um, we do. The IRS can get kind of pissy about if you're like, oh, well, I, I drove 5,000 miles. They might go, uh, no, I want to no when so, what month I want to know yeah. your yeah that's something that that I know that we do every month yeah Ben's got an accountant yep. who's familiar with LLCs and their specific deductions yep. and everything like that and so that's something that happens on the first of every month he's okay what what mileage is the car at this month what what was it this month so that when we send that number in we're not sending in again throw 50,000 no it is a precise number, number. You know? I actually got an app on my phone that it 
as long as the app's up in the background, it knows every time I'm in a car moving. Right. And it's like, was this a personal or a business trip? And you just swipe left or right. It's way more fun than Tinder. Yes, I get money for this. No, I don't get money for this. Yes, I get money for this. It sounds a lot less risky than Tinder too. Oh, yes. <laughs> but it then tracks everything and does reports. It is a little bit expensive. It's about $60 a year. But I always have my phone with me. So right. if I'm in a car, my phone's with me. The only weird thing that I have found is that um, you go and you're riding with somebody or you're riding in a ride share just for yourself. And I go, mm -hmm. well, I, this is somebody else's. You literally just have to delete it. And there's no option for not my car. Or, oh, or there really like should this. be. No, there's public transportation. But right. there's no, not my car. Hmm. somebody else is driving right uh, but no I mean there is is so much stuff you can do there's a really great book out called and I, I mean I'm giving him free advertising I don't even know who wrote the book but it's called LLC versus S Corp versus C Corp mm -hmm. it's a small book it's relatively cheap it is worth the money to buy it and read it and take a look at what you want to do versus how you want to incorporate or make yourself an LLC. And it'll give you information where to look for different states because different states have different options. Right. But if you want to control your own money, and I will freely admit, and Karis knows this, we're both a little bit of control freaks. I want to control how my books look, how they're presented to the world. Self-publishing is the best way to do it. Right. And if you're going to do it, you might as well make money on it. And that means uh, making sure you give the government as little as legally possible. <laughs> hey, if the big guys do it, why can't the little ones, right? I, you know what? That's what the laws are there for. They are literally there right. to give you ways to say, I don't owe you a portion of this money. Exactly. And I have an accountant now because... <laughs> Once you start hitting multiple figures, you're like, yeah, no, this is over my head. I, I'm going to make a mistake. I want right. somebody else to look at this. Exactly. Well, and we've talked about, you know, in this industry, everything in this industry is going to cost you either time or money, sometimes both. Oh. And an accountant in, in this situation is one of those things where it's like, just spend the money. I guarantee honestly, you they have, they have knowledge that it's just not worth your time and they already have the expertise to, you don't want to mess this up. You know, this is not yeah. one of the things that where you can go, oops, no. that was a typo. You know? <laughs> I, I will say it depends on how much you're making. If you're only making under $20,000, $30,000 a year, mm -hmm. feel free to go get TurboTax, get their business version. Right. And they're going to walk you through every single bit of it. And it, it will be a breeze. The problem is, is once you start breaking above a hundred thousand or two or 300,000, it gets a lot more complicated because the government wants a lot more of your money. Right. And it, it hurts a lot more when you're <laughs> taking it. You know, so don't feel like you have to go spend $800 on a, an accountant when you only made a thousand. Right. You know, like sure. I said, TurboTax at 69 something dollars, it will walk you through, say, and you detail every little thing. So far, the biggest complication that I have found, but I think the recent law is going to change that, 
is if you form an LLC and you publish your books through most of the distributors, be it um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, whatever, as an LLC, they do not owe you a 1099. They will not give you a 1099. As an S Corp, they will not give you a 1099, which means it is on you to report all of the money they have paid you accurately. Right. So in all honesty, that is the best reason to not become an LLC so they have to give you a 1099. Right, right. But I think the new law that they just passed, which is like one of the few, yay, I'm glad you passed the new law thing, says they now have to give 1099 to anybody they pay more than, it was either 60 or $600, one of the two. Gotcha. I, I can't remember. And if that goes into place, that will make my accounting much easier because then I'm not having to go back add up every single thing that they paid me and hope that I'm not making a mistake when I'm adding literally. So just, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Amazon does not pay you, oh, here's your $500. Right. No, 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 no. They pay you, here's your $50 from the US. Here's your $25 from Canada. Here's your 33 cents from India. Here's your $4.50 from Australia. So you can literally, for a single period, get 10 or more separate entrances into your bank account with how they pay you, which means when you're going at the end of the year to try to figure out how much you got paid, you're not doing 12 payments. You could easily be doing 100 or more, right? especially if you have anybody else paying you at the same time. So that's the other reason the accountant sometimes very nice to have is I just literally, um, if you do online banking, there's almost always this little hidden thing that says export to CSV. I just tell it to export my entire bank account for the year and I send it to her. That's excellent. That's really excellent. And you actually sent me over a link and we're going to provide that in the podcast info where you can look up what the LLC cost is for your state. So if you guys are on the fence of, you know, is this something that I need to do now is, or you know, when do I make this decision? That'll be a great guide for helping you make that choice. I think that about covers it for our time today, Mel. I thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I love getting to see you. And it was fun to chat with you about something that I I know it's, it's one of those something I ought to do probably someday, but not today things that authors do. But I I love the advice that, that you heard and passed on, you know, if you just assume you're going to be successful and set yourself up for that as much as you possibly can. I mean, the, the worst case scenario is, you know, it takes longer than you hope, but then when that day comes, you're already ready. And that's true. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that, uh, yeah, just yeah. try to do it right. You're still going to make mistakes. Lord knows I did. I, I started making too much money too fast and I should have already been an escort before <laughs> I filed my taxes. That would have been nice. Right. Um, but by setting yourself up correctly, you can at least write, start writing things off. And sometimes literally $1 will make a difference as to which tax, the tax bracket you are in. So that's what does make it worth it to do the itemizations and deduct things. Because there's a big difference between owing 22% and 24%. Right. Yes, obviously, I, I like talking about money and books and publishing. And 
You can tell how much I hate talking. I'm just no good at it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Gatecrashers podcast. This has been one of our summer interviews. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a review. Hit me up on Facebook on my agent page and be back in a few weeks for a brand new episode. (laughs) 